Happy Father's Day. What would be the favorite saying you remember your dad saying to you? If I brought my kids up here today, I sheepishly will have to admit one of the things I said to them, basically all four of them growing up, was, do you want it now or do you want it later? It was just enough to confuse them for a moment, but it was like, well, later. <laughs> if you're a dad, would you stand this morning? I'd like us to have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, today we come before you with full and open hearts because of your goodness in our life. But Lord, your goodness is expressed to us through those who raised us. And this morning in this room are standing fathers that have sought to faithfully serve you and to raise their children. Lord, today as we gather, we honor them, we celebrate them. Lord, and we ask your blessing upon them. Whether as a father that has kids in the home presently or adult children or maybe grandparents, Lord, may you continue to pour out wisdom and discernment and encouragement to be about the daily task of reflecting your presence and your love into the lives of others. Lord, each of us that our fathers in this room have come to places where we don't know what to do and maybe some of the sayings we say to our kids seem to be confusing or maybe at times even out of place. But Lord, we know that you can impart to us that which is needed, your provision for each and every day, each and every week and every year. We pray, God, that we would lean into you. And I would ask this morning as we look into your word and are encouraged by your word, that you would encourage not only the fathers, but all of us as we seek to nurture those who are around us. God, we know that things don't happen by chance, but it's passed through our hands from you that we extend mercy, grace, encouragement, learning, exhortation. Lord, may you bless us in these moments as we look to one another and encourage one another, but look to you through your word to be able to do your good and faithful work. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I just simply entitled today, Hearts on Fire. I had it entitled, Faith on Fire, and then I realized I really wanted it to be entitled, Hearts on Fire, because our faith can be on fire, uh, but it can dwindle out. But if a heart is on fire, it will continue to be fanned into flame from one generation into the next. Billy Graham said this, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. You may have had a great father, a godly father, one who passed on encouragement to you. You may have not had a good father, one who passed on to you things that you wish that you had not known about or experimented with. Maybe your father was absentee. I am mindful that when we throw the word father out, there's a lot of um, good things that can be behind that or a lot of baggage that's behind that. God is our heavenly father, and that's why it's a challenge sometimes for people to grab a hold of who God is if they've not had a good father. But I believe that we're seeing a, uh, a, a fresh word of encouragement coming for fathers to be able to step into all that God has for them. You know, on Mother's Day, it was just a few weeks ago, we always sort of honor mothers, right? Let's honor the mother, call your mother, take your mom out to eat, celebrate mom. But then on Dad's Day, we sort of tell dads to get their act together. Well, 
I don't think that's really fair. I think what we need to be doing with fathers is honoring fathers as well. And fathers are one of the most critical uh, elements for raising uh, godly kids, of course, but to raise a generation of people to serve God. I uh, indeed did have a big celebration this weekend. We have been enjoying uh, focus on my life, I guess, all weekend. I had a... uh, Hooding ceremony, which I know sounds a little strange to some of you, on Friday. And then I had a graduation yesterday. At the age of 58, I'm still trying to graduate. And then today is Father's Day. And so my family had the whole weekend sort of mapped out to bless me and encourage me and to honor me, which was sort of sheepishly, I liked it. I started a doctorate degree, a doctorate of ministry degree, not anything too big. It's not a Ph.D., that kind of thing. It's more of a practical degree, like an M.D. type degree, uh, back in January of 1989. And in January of 1989, I was exposed to some different people that were in my class. One of those, uh, some of you are familiar with, Rick Warren, who was taking the class. He lives on the other side of this mountain and runs a big church called Saddleback. And uh, it was through his inspiration, as well as, I guess, some of the things we learned in that class in January of 89, that I left, wrote a big paper to be a blueprint for starting a church to reach the generation that was at hand. And so we started that church, Melissa and I did, when we got married in 1992 in Indianapolis. And we stayed there for a period of 20 years, uh, laboring and serving. And then there was a transition uh, from there uh, out here. But I never picked back up finishing that degree. And when I finished down at the church, Eagle Church in Indianapolis, um, my mother and uh, my father, they and my dad actually died in the spring of that year following the transition from that church. Their encouragement to me was to go ahead and finish out that degree. And it's not that education, I'm going to mention that today, that education is the world, but there's, there's a lot to be said about being able to grow in the maturity of learning and the challenge and to see it not just as sort of a standalone solo event, but that's something that you're encouraged by with the family around you. And so I finally was able to finish that degree out and be in the hooding ceremony yesterday and in the commencement. So there I am. I'm done. You can call me doctor for this weekend, but then we're done with that, okay? I'm Carrie. We're good. Just a sojourner in the faith, and we're going to make things happen for the kingdom of God. But the joy to me, actually, this weekend, though I was around, you know, the whole uh, regalia stuff and and the pomp and the ceremony and the exhortation, the real joy that I had this weekend was just being with my family. And... We celebrated not just the idea of me finally being done with all that reading and writing the paper and having that excuse when I said, hey, I just need some space and time, but celebrating God's goodness in our life. And I don't know if you've had those times uh, in your own family when you pull back for maybe just a weekend and you pause and you live in the present moment and you thank God for all of his goodness of what's going on. Perfect? No. Problems? Yes. Uncertainty ahead? For sure. But to live in the present moment and to embrace the joy of what God's doing in your family unit. 
I had one of those. So we hung out of the pool, we had meals together, we walked the campus there together, and we just had a great time. But I was so thankful for God's faithfulness, not in getting me to a point of having a, a doctorate degree for whatever value that's worth. It's for the purpose, really, of my ongoing education to keep me sharp. It was my thankfulness that God had worked in my family through the ups and downs through all the years. And through my wife and I and the privilege we've had to raise our children, that each of them faithfully walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and are seeking His purpose for their lives. And that we were able to do it and still are doing it together. What's your definition for success in your home? Have you ever thought about this? There's different ways that you can define success. Let me go to Psalm chapter 112, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 112 says this, How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Isn't that a great song? Children who are generous, compassionate, and walk in the righteousness of God. And the success is defined not by the worldly success, but by the success of what God says we are called to be as human beings. And so if you had to sort of put the target on the wall, this is what I want my family to be like, this is what I want my children to be like, dads, what would you say that is in your life? What would you say that that is? Culture says success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids, right? And like you just saw, I, I, I want my children to be well-rounded, exposed to a lot of different kinds of things and encouraged. I want them to be well-educated. They feel led to take those kinds of steps and, and to press out on that. And I hope that they have happiness. But usually that's just sort of succinctly what... I just want, I just want them to be well-rounded, you know, I, I get their education and just be happy. And that's about as far as we go for any type of grand vision, if you will, for our children. But what I want to share with you today is just encouragement, not only to dads, but for all of us who are nurturers and caregivers for other people. Whether it's our own children, our grandchildren, our extended family, uh, uh, nieces and nephews. Maybe it's people within the church that you're teaching, uh, access ministry, encouraging people that have disabilities, whatever it may be. I want to encourage us not to have this as the target on the wall, to have well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids, but to have this. I believe that we are called to unleash Christ-centered, biblically-anchored, world-impacting lovers of Jesus. Yawn. It's usually not a yawn. It's much as... Oh, that sounds like that's a little bit more work. I'm just sort of tired of raising my kids. And how would I end up doing that? I'm just trying to get the bills paid, keep them off drugs, and make sure that they have some way out of this house when time's done. Right? 
I like the phrasing of this. Part of the phrasing of this comes from Craig Rochelle from Life Church. And I, you know, when I, when I lean into a thinking about it, I like the description in here because each of these are essential and critical for us as we seek to nurture those who God has blessed us to influence. Not just that they would be happy and stay away from things and not get in trouble and don't make, you know, don't make my name feel bad. I want, I, 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 I don't know, what do I do? That sounds like a lot of work, Carrie. Was just having a nice little journey raising the kids and see them off on their way and then get together every now and then. No. From one generation to the next generation, teaching our kids the fear of the Lord, to be compassionate, to be generous, to be righteous, to be all out God-following people. And it's not just God-following people. I want to keep the edge there. And the reason we just came through the series we did, when Jesus calls your name, is I want our children that we have influence in to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and know that Christ has called them. He's called them to be centered in Himself, who He is, His righteousness, His strength, His goodness. I want that to come from a biblically anchored base. I'm experiencing this as I interact with people today. I don't know about you and your life, but there's a lot of shifting wind as to, well, what's right in our culture and what's not right in our culture. And I guess it's sort of in vogue now, so I guess it's okay. So I shouldn't really speak out about my conviction against that or for this. Friends, we don't get to choose how God put the world together and how he's put us together and what is right and what ultimately leads to the most blessing in this world. God chooses that. We find it in his scripture. And I want us to raise biblically anchored children, a generation who says, not that they're Bible thumpers. Well, the Bible says. But it's like, no, this is a living word of life. And this speaks life to me. This shows me the direction to go. I'm one of those people that try to put things together without an instruction book. How about you? And then you sort of get several steps in and you go, I guess I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Or I missed a step. And then you have to tear something apart, right? We've been given the instructions for life. And so when we're seeking to raise or to unleash children into the next generation or to encourage our adult children right now to continue flourishing in their worlds, we need to have the vision for a Christ-centered, biblically anchored, world-impacting life. Now, sometimes I always step back. I was under a lot of challenging teaching when I was younger in churches, in youth group, in college ministry. You know, you need to change the world. Part of me hesitates to even put world changing or a world impacting up here because it's sort of over the top. Really? Are you serious? Friends, you never know one life that you can influence and what that life will end up doing and who that person may influence We will not know that until the end of time when all uh, things are put together and we're going like, wow, I would have never known that. That my encouragement in that person's life in that season would have enabled them to accomplish that. Christ-centered, biblically anchored, world-impacting, and then I put the last phrase there, lovers of Jesus. People who love Jesus. Not that they're weird, 
but they know who Jesus is and they have this passionate personal relationship with them. And then I send them off and I step back and say, hey, you know, the well-rounded, well-educated, happy kid doesn't cut it with God being able to use our lives as nurturing people, to raise people, unleash people, unleash children, students, other adults, whoever it is you're seeking to influence, that they may be Christ-centered, biblically anchored, world-impacting lovers of Jesus. What's the target on the wall that you're shooting for when it comes to raising your children? All right, Carrie. We'll take you up on that one. But it seems like a pretty big, tall order. And, and some of you in here say, you know, I, I, I thought I did everything right and my, my children, uh, they, they didn't go the right direction. Well, it's no guarantee. I understand that. Everyone has their own will. They all make their own choices. We see it time and time again in Scripture. Some of the people that had godly influence, the next generation would wing off to the left or the right or fall in the pit, whatever it may be. And you're like, how did that happen? Well, God gives every person their own will, and they're seeking to live out that life according to uh, their desires, and hopefully those desires get aligned with God's. So if you're in that kind of situation today, don't be discouraged by it. Don't beat yourself up by it. Just keep coming back to renew your commitment through all course of life. You never know when some of your adult children will make a turn. You never know when something tragic happens that causes somebody to bottom out and they go, I think I need to rethink through life. You stay steady. You stay representing who God called you to be as a mother and a father in that home or to other people that you're mentoring and seek to just be used as his instrument to set before them. You know, fathers, I think one of the best things that we can do is that if we want to show, if we want our kids to have the goodness of what we pass on to them as a father, then we need to have the goodness of the Heavenly Father in our life. It really is playing its way out one generation to the next, mentoring one to the next. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times when I feel like I fall really short. You go, well, you're the pastor. Aren't you supposed to have really good kids in Christ? I don't. There's a lot of things my kids, if I brought them up here, would say, well, Dad, I don't know about this or that. There's times where I fall short and I say, Lord, help me, change me, correct my life so I can continue to align it to your perfect will. But I keep coming back and I keep asking the Lord to help me to be wise at every age what I need to be doing for them. And the one thing I'd like to focus on in a practical way today is something I want to reference as managing exposure. Managing exposure. What we expose our children to is what they will become. Again, it's not a guarantee aspect of that, but if you expose your kid to a lot of sports, you take them to a lot of games, they're going to probably like that sport. If you, you get them exposed to the arts and, and, and have them interested in those, they're going to go that direction. 
It's interesting, sometimes I, I catch things on Facebook from different families I know historically, and I know a little bit about them. Maybe I knew them when they were young adults and what they had a passion for. And then I see them passing that very same passion on to their kids. Some grab a hold of it, but, uh, you know, a few grab a hold of it, don't grab a hold of it, I mean, but a lot of them do. And so, you know, there was uh, something I just saw on Facebook yesterday of somebody that I know that's really into rodeos and, and horses and all that kind of thing. And there they were, their pictures, their kids and rodeos and what they were doing. There's another family I know, they liked sailboating and, and racing sailboats. And so you see the races that their kids are a part of, Right? Other people that maybe have a heart for some type of music or that kind of thing. You know, there's no surprise that uh, Josh and Tiff Axine would be taking their daughter to a, it was a Hillsong concert, was it? You know, it's like, of course, because they like to worship, even though it's getting a little loud for Josh. Uh, it's okay. You know, it's, it's hey, but the daughter, it's and what you expose Your children, too, is what they become. So what are you exposing them to or what are you not exposing them to that's of critical importance in their life right now? What did your parents expose you to? That became a part of your life that's pretty cool. Maybe it's a habit that you, I mean, a hobby that you have or something you like to do. Maybe, though, they exposed you to some things that aren't so great and you ended up, following in those paths too even though when you say i'm not going to do that some, somehow it it came that way so dads in particular what are you exposing your kids to right now because there's going to be a result of that exposure or dads what are you not exposing your kids to and then you're going to wish someday well why don't they well what happened back when we were nurturing them And it doesn't just end. As you know, i got a couple adult children, right? It doesn't end just at the graduation, the high school graduation or the college graduation. I think sometimes, uh, some of you know, my second son, Zach, is now in ministry. He's an associate youth pastor at Alliance Church up in Big Bear. And I, because I'm not just the dad now, but I'm the dad who's been a pastor, can you help me navigate this one? In fact, he, he got an email yesterday. I had a phone call. We're sitting by the, uh, the pool, and I could tell the phone call was a bothersome phone call. Something had happened. Some things had turned with the leadership person, and I tried to encourage him. The last thing I said to him when I hugged him last night and said goodbye, I said, you remember, son, have a soft heart but a hard hide. In other words, you've got to continue to stay tender, but there are certain times that you can't let things affect you and cause you to deter and go some other direction. So even as adult children, you're training, you're encouraging, you're exposing them to God's truth. We are never done, dads, moms, grandparents. We are always being an influence in one direction or another. So where do we go with this aspect of managing exposure? Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. You read that with me? Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. 
You want to manage exposure in your kid's life so they are around wisdom, not around foolishness. They'll come across foolishness. You want them not to be a companion of those who are foolish in the world, but those who are wise and walk with the wise. You know, when it's sort of, you know, I don't, this whole thing of, yeah, you know, you heard it there in the video. Yeah, my, you know, I walked uphill both ways in the snow to be able to get to school kind of thing. Sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, there's the stories. And maybe the students in here today go like, yeah, thanks for the stories. I know you had it much better. or It was harder in your life kind of thing. So I'm always cautious of this. But I tell you what. I recall when I was in high school, and I also recall what I hear and I see today in high schools, and I am concerned when I open up the door to send my student off to school. I don't know what they're getting exposed to. I don't know what kind of challenge they are, and we can't do the helicopter parent and just always protect them. I understand that kind of thing. But they're going to be exposed to all kinds of things of the world materialism, greed, an over-sexualized culture, all right? Different kinds of values, different kinds of influence. And there they go. And you're like, oh, oh, I hope they're okay. God, pray, protect them in their environment today. Because I, I don't know, how do I manage exposure when they're not always underneath our wing? Well, We challenge them and we interact when we work with them. But generally, we're seeking that they would seek out companionship with those who are wise and walk with those who are wise and stay clear from foolish things and engage a conversation on those things. Or when something happens, not to just come way down on them, but to say, all right, let's talk this one out. That was not a good choice, you know. Where can we go and these other things? There may be consequences of those choices, but we are always on the job in the environments of nurturing and training our children to be what? To be Christ-centered, biblically anchored, world-impacting lovers of Jesus. So let's get practical. The first thing I just want to throw out is this. Expose them to the joy of knowing Jesus personally. Expose them to the joy of knowing Jesus personally. And how does that come about? It comes about you, Dad, You, mom, being someone who has a heart to know God. Because they'll pick up on it. How important is it that you have not just a church-going mindset, but that you have a mindset that you want to know Christ, as Scripture says in Philippians, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. There's a tenacity that you have in your life to know Jesus. And not just a tenacity, but you are learning from Jesus through God, the Heavenly Father, the Good Father, how to be a good father in your life. And that father that you're desiring to be is going to be reflected through God Himself, Jesus Christ, His Spirit, living and dwelling in you. Expose them to the joy of knowing Jesus personally. That doesn't mean you don't have ups and downs, and there's some weeks that you're, you know, you're really not in tune with God. But do they know that you really are seeking to know Christ? And is that seen as a priority in your life? I'm not talking God talk. I'm not talking church talk. I'm talking Jesus. As if you were called, like we talked about, as a disciple of His. 
And is that a foremost identity that they would identify with you in your life? John 17, 3 says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So in managing the exposure in our environments, it begins right in the home. Are you someone who models wanting to be a Christ-centered, biblically-anchored, world-impacting lover of Jesus? Expose them to knowing the joy of Jesus personally. It's probably one of the greatest things I appreciate that my parents passed on to me. We were church-going folks. We were sought to live moral lives and do things responsibly and help other people. But there was a marked difference between just doing all the stuff and someone who talked about Jesus and referenced Jesus. Let me give you a couple things on this. The first is incorporate spiritual truth and language into everyday living. Incorporate spiritual truth and language into everyday living. You are not teaching your children in a classroom. You're teaching them along the path of life or as you're driving in the car. Things are going to come up and you need to take teachable moments. Instead of saying, i got to sit them down. No, what's grab the teachable moments... It's not sometimes the, the quantity, yes, as it is the quality aspect. You need both. But there's quality moments where we need to teach and grab a hold of something. And maybe it's a big, heavy experience in life. Something changed, something fell amiss, and we come back and say, oh, let's, let's learn about this. Or it may just be something in passing. Dad, what would you do today? What, what was on your schedule today? Well, I can tell them I had this meeting or I prepped for this other thing or accomplished this work or had this study. But do I ever say the thing of, well, I spent some time with Jesus today walking for a half an hour and just talking to him. Oh, okay. See you, Dad. That is something that would just be a part of my spiritual language in my discussion, right? I, uh, I did briefly ask her for her permission because the, the daughter is especially sensitive to this. But uh, we had a great time, as I said, this weekend. We were finishing up. We ate at a restaurant and, uh, on Colorado Boulevard of Pasadena last night. And uh, the parking garage was just around the corner, but sort of a little bit around the corner between the restaurant and the parking garage was one of my daughter's favorite stores, Lush. You been to Lush? It has an awful lot of smells that are not comfortable to me in my life. It's soaps, whatever it may be, right? And so she said, oh, I want to stop in there. It's like, well, we're not buying you anything, that kind of thing. I got my own money, that kind of thing. Well, they're in the store. She was with mom. We get back in the car and get in the car, and she says, Dad, I didn't buy anything. And I go, really? That's great. Now, you may say, okay, now what are you going to do as a pastor, right? But, you know, I thought when she said that, that's a discipline. Not that she's a big spender, but she really likes that store, and it's real expensive to just buy one or two little things. But she said, I didn't spend anything. And I said, that's great. You know, that's a sign of self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God was working in your life in that store to have self-control. <laughs> she goes, yeah, maybe, but there's a lot of times when I don't have that. Right? But that's your spiritual language, your conversation. Is it a natural part of you interacting and talking with your kids? 
or your grandkids or those you're trying to mentor. You don't have to be, oh, here comes the big lecture. Here comes the big sermon. Just, just put it in and move on. Put it in and move on. But you can't do that if it's not a part of your life. If you're not biblically anchored, then you're not going to be able to reference the fruit of the Spirit and know what the fruit of the Spirit are in Galatians 5 and be able to work with that. But if it's part of your life, then you're just naturally passing that on. So incorporate spiritual truth and language into everyday living and look for those moments, the teachable moments. You don't have to teach it everything at every turn, but look for those moments to take the Scripture and point them to the Scripture. Well, this is what the Scriptures would teach us, and this is the book of life. It's the instruction book that knows how to put life together in its fullest, best way. The second thing I want to just say on this is get to know God's heart, Jesus' heart, through prayer, and His will through His Word. You are seeking to know this yourself so that you can show and expose it to them. You get to know God's heart through prayer and spending time with Him, and you get to know His will through His Word. And so as you practice and cultivate those two, you'll be able to expose them more to the joy of knowing Jesus personally and encourage them to do the same. Do you have moments and times where you pray with your kids? Sort of, hey, we're on the way to school. We're getting ready to park. You're going to get out. You're going to go with someone else. Right? What's just pray about today? All right? becomes such a natural part sometimes, and Melissa's a lot better at practicing this with our children, I think, than I am at times, that they now ask me, can we just pray about that, Dad? That's a good idea. Yeah, let's just pray, because the Lord's here, and we can talk about that, and we can commune with Him, and experience His joy in giving us the answers and the direction. Is it a natural part? It may seem, let me tell you, it will seem awkward, parents, to do this. It's like, uh-uh. well, before you get out to go into school today, could we have a prayer in the car? What? What, my? No. Do you see where we're at? And people are walking past that would like be really embarrassing or something, right? Well, then maybe you could pray with your eyes open before you get to school or something like that. Try to take the step. And when you take the step, don't feel awkward about it, even if they shut you down and say, okay, thanks, whatever it may be. Or what about time to read Scripture? Let's pull open the Scriptures, or let's talk about this. You know, sometimes, um, you know, family devotions are very helpful to be able to have a little circle up time. All right? You get to know God's heart through prayer, and you get to know His will through His words, and that's not only in your life, it's in their lives, and we live that out and we enable them to practice it. You're managing exposure to environments. Second thing is this, expose them to the presence and the power of Christ in His church. I believe God gives us His church, not as something to put on our schedule to fill up our weekends because we got busy weeks and busy weekends. He gives us the church as an extended family of knowing him. And we experience his presence and his power by being in a community of like-minded, kindred-seeking Jesus people. And when your children are in those environments, that becomes their extended family as well. 
So it's not just, well, I got mom, dad, I got an aunt and uncle, I got a neighbor, I got another person. You know, they have this whole huge family. I was blessed with this whole graduation deal. People lit up Facebook. Well, yeah. And people from so many seasons of my life and different experiences. But a lot of, most all those people are because of the church in various places, encouraging, affirming. And if you want to expose your kids to good environments, you need to have them a part of the community of the church it really is not an option for us and our family. I mean, we never really hear the thing during the week. So, are we going to go to church this weekend? What? Are we going to breathe? Your kid never asks you, hey, are we going to eat this weekend? Of course we're going to eat, right? If you are a Christ follower and you're seeking to raise Christ-centered, biblically-anchored, world-impacting lovers of Jesus, then the church is not optional. That's the community Christ has given us to be in His presence and His power. Our church is perfect. No. Do church people hurt you sometimes? Sure, because we're all humans, but we work through that process. We work through reconciliation of conflict, other kinds of things. I'm out. I'm out. In fact, I heard something this last week. I'm out. I'm out. I'm like, what do you mean you're out? Well, there's a little bit of rub I had with somebody. Okay. So when you're in your family and something happens, do you stand up and say, hey, I'm out. Dad's done. That has actually happened in some people's lives and it's sort of tragic, right? Maybe it's happened in your life. But that's not normal. That's not what we're supposed to do. It's not I'm out. You work with it. You are in a part of the body and the community of Christ, loving and encouraging one another, championing one another. I mean, I just slipped out there to make sure we got a little bit of air in the sanctuary. And, and you know, all those middle schoolers flooding out there to be with Joe and some of his other leaders hanging around. They have community out there. They're building friendships that are centered on being Christ-centered and biblically anchored kids trying to seek to impact the world or Tuesday night, wherever it may be, or camps that we want them to go to. This is their community. Don't steal it from them. And don't see church as something that's optional for a weekend. And I'm not saying that just to keep our numbers up. Because pastors do that. They tell me today people show up on Sundays now 1.9 times per month. And it's not like, hey, beat them up. Yeah, show up in church. But if you're not at church, then are they in a community? Are going to a church where your, your, your parents are at? If I, 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 it needs to be a part of your life. It's not optional. And you stay good through the years. You manage that exposure to them in a community of believers. And they'll begin to understand and to learn and to grow. Maybe it's not all that great. I was so thankful my parents went to a church when I was in high school. My sister, we were in high school, and my other siblings had moved on in some other different directions. And um, they didn't necessarily like everything at that church. But that church had a vital student ministry, and it changed and rocked my world as a young person. Sometimes things we do at church don't line up with all your wishes and your desires and your likes. It's not about the program. It's about Jesus worshiping him, establishing him as a priority, then falling in love with the people that are seeking to follow him as well. Number three is this, expose them to the thrill 
of being used by Christ for his purpose and his plans. You know, speaking of this whole thing, <laughs> your kids in a church community, I had to smile today because I do this one of my points, and, and uh, I don't know, is Kim Notchell in here? And uh, Kim was getting uh, the coffee set up and that kind of thing, and in with Kim comes her daughter, Audrey. And then a little bit later in comes Frank Johnson to, to serve in the student minister, uh, in the elementary this morning, and right on the toe of him is uh, Abby trying to help out, and she came and asked me a question. And I'm thinking, there you go, life on life. We're here to serve the Lord, and you're coming with me. You're a part of it. Expose them to the thrill of serving the Lord, not just in church, but out on the street, in the highways, and the byways of life, caring for other people, helping an orphan or a widower, being able to serve other kinds of people. Get them involved in doing the work of Jesus. See, when you're a pastor, you always got this concern about your kids, PKs, they call them, and being forced to do things and all show up at things like that. And so you have to have some elasticity and purpose there. But they observe their mom and dad their whole life serving the purposes of God. And even if you go to your career and your vocation, your vocations, your ministries, what you do, and you're serving the Lord there, and to talk about it, to incorporate it, you need to have them as apprentices with you at different times and seasons of life, letting them know this is what we do. This is just that's what we do, man. We love Jesus, and we're seeking to be Christ-centered, and we're learning His Word to be biblically anchored. But, man, we're going to be world impactors. We're going to impact somebody, maybe not the whole world, but this person and that person, I'm going to care. We're going to care for them. And so your intentionality begins to build within them. Not, you know, we, we think it's going to happen overnight. No, it's day after day and week after week and month after month. It's layering itself one upon another so that when they step back, even if they go amiss in life, they step back and sometimes they'll come back to God and other things because they saw and they knew and they know the pathway to go. Managing exposure managing environments. Joshua 24:14 says, "Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord." So it's just my simple encouragement. If you want your kids to have hearts of fire, For God, they need to see it through your life, dads. They need to see it through your life, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, whoever it may be. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, it's interesting. um, One of the people that was influential in my life, he has a ministry, and his ministry is now called Forge. And it's all about young adults, exposing young adults to being able to to be... uh, Christ-centered, biblically-anchored, world-impacting lovers of Jesus. And this is their motto for um, Forge. Hearts on fire, lives on purpose. Had the opportunity to send one of my sons to a two-month experience with that ministry. And all I can say right now is I see that happening in his life. Not just because of that exposure, but the exposure for a lifetime. Hearts on fire, lives on purpose operating that way in fact as i was getting ready to walk in for the hooding ceremony on friday 
Um, there's an uh, African-American guy next to me, and he seemed pretty cool and hanging tight. And I just sort of introduced myself. I said, I'm Kerry Bowman. He says, oh, he says, hi, I'm, my name's Ephraim. And I looked at him out of the blue. I've never seen this guy. I said, Ephraim Smith? <laughs> and he smiled. He says, yeah. I said, well, I'm friends of Dwight Robertson. Dwight was the head of Forge Ministry, Hearts on Fire, Lives on Purpose. Dwight used to be my youth pastor that I worked with and served underneath when I was in college. And he says, oh, no kidding, because Ephraim is an itinerant speaker, some for that ministry, he had been, and he does some other kinds of things. He's into racial reconciliation. He's got some powerful ministries with world impact for a number of years. I'd heard about him. Not too many people are called Ephraim. And so when he said Ephraim, I said, hey, Ephraim Smith. Yeah, Ephraim Smith. And so he said, I just got a text from Dwight. And he says, look, here's a text. He says, hey, let's do a selfie. So he puts his camera up, and we do a selfie. He walked in right behind me. I got a picture of him walking by me, and I just smiled. I got a text from Dwight today congratulating me and that kind of thing. And I thought, how cool. We have these extended families so that we can challenge one another to have hearts on fire and lives on purpose. It doesn't happen by chance. This does not happen just sending them off to school and getting them fed at night and making sure they get their homework done and getting them to bed. There has to be intentionality, and that intentionality comes from us, dads, as the head of our home, to lead people in the way that we should go. You know, the whole degree thing. I'm glad to have gotten it. But I was reminded of the words before one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I just want to give reference to that as we close. The Apostle Paul did say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And that's always been, Lord, that's me. I, I, I want that to be in passion in my life. I want my kids to be able to see that. I want to be able to lead out of that as a pastor. But you know, right before that, I won't go there, but the Apostle Paul, who had a lot of accolades, he was able to say he was of this tribe and he had this pedigree and and he had these kinds of degrees as a Pharisee. He lists all those in Philippians 3 and he says, but whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I remember my mom teaching me once that if you did good things, you served the Lord, they say, hey, you get a crown and a jewel in your crown. But then she also taught me, she says, you know, Carrie, when we get there on the final day, you know what we do with those crowns we're given? We just place them at the feet of Jesus at the foot of the cross. It's not about us. It's not about what we do, whether you got degrees or no degrees. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And I want my children to know Christ. I want them to be Christ-centered, biblically anchored, world-impacting lovers of Jesus. And I'm not perfect by any means. I stumble and fall. It was interesting. That whole Philippians 3 passage for commencement yesterday theological seminaries, just all graduates, master's degrees, PhD degrees, doctor of ministry degrees, doctor of missiology degrees, doctor of global missions, counseling degrees, people that are becoming, you know, master's degrees in family and 
marriage and family therapy and stuff. And there's like 600 of us packed into Lake Avenue. Church. And they referenced that passage. And then they went on. The president of the seminary said this, referencing Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the gold to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then he exhorted us as graduates. It's good you get your degrees. Press on to know Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning I just pray all together that you would enable us to take our lives of influence with children and others and use them so that we can unleash Christ-centered, biblically anchored, world-impacting lovers of you, Jesus. But Lord, we know it begins with us. And whatever maybe we've fallen at before, may we just forget what is behind. May we strain towards what is ahead and to press on towards that goal of knowing you and living with you eternally. I pray, God, this morning, especially for us dads, may we be wise in how we need to reorder our life. Maybe there's some sins we need to steer clear from and ask the power of the Spirit to help us. Maybe it's some disciplines that we need to take on to be able to know you more. Maybe it's some words of repentance. Maybe it's some words of seeking forgiveness with our kids. Maybe it's times just to be together to create and manage exposure to more godly environments. Lord, may you, through your Spirit, write your word upon our heart. May we find ourselves in the days ahead, continuing to grow in this ability to be dads and moms, grandparents, aunts, uncles, mentors, encouragers, best buddies. Lord, may we be a part of creating hearts on fire and lives on purpose for you. In your name we pray.